calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Bitches on Comics listeners, it is I, one of your hosts, Sarah Century. Usually there are other hosts, but not today. We love them very much. Shout out to Monica and SC at the top of the hour. But fortunately, (laughs) it's not just me talking this whole hour. I actually have a guest today. So I would love it if you would introduce yourself to the listeners. Sure. Hi. Um, my name is also Sarah, uh, but with an H, I'm yeah. Sarah Kuhn. Um, I write a lot of things, mostly books and comics. Um, I'm probably best known for a series called Heroin Complex, which is a series of novels about Asian American superheroines. Um, I've also written some YA rom-coms, uh, I Love You So Mochi, and From Little Tokyo with Love. And in the comics world, um, I have written um, quite a few things, uh, probably best known for uh, my two graphic novels with DC, Shadow of the Batgirl, which was about uh, Cassandra Kane, who is the Asian Batgirl. And uh, this title is really long and I always put it in the wrong order, but it is Girl Taking Over a Lois Lane Story which is about a sort of reimagined uh, biracial Asian-American version of a teenage Lois Lane making it in the big city. Um, And I've written some other things. I've written um, some Barbie comics. I wrote some Clueless comics. Um, I actually wrote uh, some comics about uh, the Archie gang as uh, like kids, like children. Um, And then the thing I think we are going to talk most about is one of my latest projects, which is um, a one-shot for Archie about Darla Lang, who is also known as Darkling. Yes. (laughs) So while you were giving your incredibly impressive resume, I was thinking... First of all, I forgot about the Lois book, which is so I'm expressing pain because I love Lois. This is like my favorite character, like one of my top tens. So I want to talk more about Lois. But also I was like, oh, right. Yes. I just remembered another thing that I did read, which was the Clueless comic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, yes. We're fortunate to have guests on that have done enough work that I'm like, I know I will discover and rediscover their work, you know, throughout my life, which is my very favorite thing. I love it when you can just 
kind of like grow with the writer or something like that. I don't Mm -hmm. know if that makes sense. (laughs) Um, Sure. (laughs) Yeah. But like, I always love to kind of be able to like jump in and jump out and then be like, right, yes, I forgot about the lowest book. Now I'm going to read that. That's immediately has to go on my queue because I just totally spaced it. So much going on in the world. But I wanted to say that the place that I actually first heard you was a podcast. Um, It was the Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men episode (laughs) that talked about Betsy Braddock. Yeah, that's right. Psylocke. Yes, a pretty wild episode. Um, Of course, like not to dive too deep into that right now because you do already. But I just wanted to tell people if they wanted to check that out. I know we have a lot of X-Men fans that listen to the podcast that also listen to Jay and Miles. If you happen to miss that episode, it's a really great one. It was like kind of the one that I would send people for a long time if I was like, yeah, if you want to get like a good vibe of this show. Um, like they're kind of tackling stuff that, you know, needs to be tackled, I guess. And I think that that's like pretty consistent on that show. Yeah, that was a really fun experience. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can only imagine it was a good one to listen to for sure. And I wanted to say too, uh, you've worked in so many different kind of worlds, right? Like you've Mm -hmm. been, you have created your own universes, of course, And then there are, you've done a lot of superhero comics and stuff like that. And a lot of your superhero comics are just great. Like, I know that a ton of people really love Shadow of the Batgirl. Um, So, yeah, I guess, like, just to kick things off, I'd love to hear a little bit more about all of the superhero comics that you've worked on. Because, of course, Heroine Complex and then... What's kind of the difference between working, like obviously creating your own and being in control of the universe and then something like Shadow of the Batgirl where you're kind of like, you know, or Lois Lane, you know, where you're kind of reimagining these characters that have uh, a lengthy history behind them. Because if I remember correctly, uh, Cassandra Cain is introduced in the 90s. And uh, that's that's a lot of stories. So Yeah. Um, you know, it's always fun. I think both sort of, of those kinds of processes are interesting, different, have some places where they cross over. With Heroine Complex, which was my own universe, and those are uh, prose novels uh, rather than comic books, but I like to think they're sort of written in a style where you can imagine, you know, pretty easily what is happening. You can sort of make a a comic book in in your mind. Um, Mm -hmm. They have things like sound (laughs) effects and just ridiculous scenarios. And um, with those books, we were also lucky enough to have a great um, cover artist, Jason Chan, who really brought to life from the first book. I mean, the first book, he chose um, the opening scene, which is the two heroines having a battle with these demonic cupcakes. And (laughs) he just brought it to, I mean, that's such a ridiculous premise, but he just brought it to life so beautifully. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think with those books, it's sort of interesting because they were very influenced by what I had loved to read when I was growing up, which was fantasy and sci-fi and superhero comics. Um, I loved the X-Men. I was very, um, I think, into them because they were a superhero team who was just as concerned with talking about like their feelings and their sort of interpersonal dramas as they were with like battling these like literally world ending foes. So I always thought that was great. That appealed to uh, probably the angsty tween that I was. And, um, (laughs) you know, writing those books, I think that I wanted to kind of write something that reminded me of things I had, I had grown up reading and loving like that, but that also sort of 
focused a little more on the mundane side of superheroing. You know, like one of my big influences with that series was uh, an X-Men issue called Ladies Night, which is actually the first yes. appearance <laughs> of Jubilee. And, yeah. you know, the main story is about some of the ex-ladies going to the mall and like, you know, getting their hair done and uh, trying on <laughs> shoes and just kind of bonding. And I always thought that was really fun. So those were definitely big influences when I developed that series. Um, and sort of like what that series became was a chance for me to, to write those kind of fun, poppy, ridiculous stories um, focused on Asian American women, which I had not seen a lot of. And I wanted to kind of, you know, spotlight the girls who look like me, who I'm friends with, who, you know, had grown up loving these stories, but maybe didn't see themselves very much in them. Um, and then as far as developing licensed characters, that's kind of always fun because, you know, you're playing with someone else's toys. You're sort of given um, different guidelines or different suggestions, obviously, you can't, um, there are things that you probably can't do, but I think with, uh, right. with both Shadow of the Batgirl and Lois Lane, I was really lucky enough to work with some wonderful teams that gave me a lot of freedom. Uh, my editor on both of those books was Sarah Miller. She's incredible. She's very collaborative. Um, and you know, I felt like with her and the artists on those books, uh, Batgirl was Nicole Goo. Lois was Ariel Jovalanis. Um, we just had a fantastic time sort of envisioning like, well, what do our versions of these characters look like? What do we want to delve into with them? What kind of stories do we want to tell? And I think for me, Lois was particularly fun because she is one of my favorite characters. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and, you know, she's probably most of the reason why I became a journalist. You know, I'm not, I'm no longer a journalist, but that was what I wanted to do for a long time. And I think she was a big influence on that. And so, you know, with a character like that, who's been around for so long, we had a lot of discussions about, you know, obviously this is a new modern version of her. It is an Asian American version of her. It is a teenage version of her. It is her that is just kind of starting out in the world and we're sort of showing her fall in love with journalism. She doesn't necessarily start at that point. So we had a lot of talks about what is sort of the essential DNA of that character. And I think for me, um, it was <laughs> that one, she really refuses to be a sidekick. You know, she kind of always puts herself in the <laughs> yes. center of the story. I always thought yeah, yeah, that, yeah. you know, the, those, those, the Christopher Reeves Superman movies, which were sort of one of my um, entry points to loving superheroes, yeah. I always thought she was the main character in the first two movies because you're sort of discovering, she's the she human, is. right? Like she's she's kind of our... POV into the story. She is the one who's discovering Superman while we discover mm -hmm. Superman. So I always thought she was the main character. And I think that was kind of a, an energy that we, um, we took to our Lois. And then the other thing I always thought was that, you know, she just has this really tenacious drive to find the truth and expose the truth. And she kind of won't stop no matter what. I mean, I just rewatched Superman 2 and that whole beginning sequence is her like basically climbing the Eiffel Tower by herself, even though it's obviously a terrible idea because she's trying to get a story. 
And so I think um, those two things were just things we really tried to keep centered. But then also, obviously, we had our own ideas of, you know, what is Lois Lane now? What is this version of Lois Lane who has kind of grown up in a very specific way, is influenced by very specific things, and is sort of learning, you know, why it's important to tell the truth or expose the truth or get into ridiculous situations because you're trying to get a story. So I think for me, um, both of those sort of uh, development like stages are very fun and can be a little bit different. Um, but in both cases, I think we're always, or I'm always like, if I'm working by myself, if I'm working with a team, just trying to find, you know, what is the sort of true central essence of that character and how can we best uh, focus on it? Yes. So if you go back to even like the early Lois stories, right? Like Superman is just clearly the sidekick. If you look at like the Lois and Clark series from the 90s, I actually still really like that series because mm-hmm. I think that they're very clear, right? That like he, he is, he's the sidekick. It's all right. It's for the best. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I think, you know, again, she is like the human. She's the one that's sort of like discovering him as we are. She's always trying to get the story of Superman. She's always trying to kind of not expose him, but she just, you know, she has a suspicion that she's always trying to figure it out. So I think like she gets for me scoop, anyway, right? <laughs> yeah, she was the one I kind of um, related to. Yeah, definitely. And I wanted to say too, that line of DC comics, the graphic novels where it's like you did the Lois Lane, the shadow of the Batgirl, I believe there too. And then they, you know, Daniel Page did the Mira comic. Mm -hmm. There was the Harley Quinn breaking glass, like Poison Ivy Thorns. These are all really incredible stories. So even just kind of the way that it's kind of unwound for me as a reader is that every single time one of those pops up, and even if I hadn't heard about it yet, I can always pick it up and know it's going to be just killer. So have you uh, enjoyed a lot of the other stuff that's on that line at all? Oh, yeah. I think so. That line is, I think it's called DC Young Readers. Um, It's a great line. Mm. I think it's really fun um, to sort of see all of these reimaginings of very classic legacy characters, especially for readers who are maybe a little bit younger and, you know, are interested in the characters, but don't really know where to start. You know, there's, I think comics can be very intimidating. There's so much Mm -hmm. history. There's so much (laughs) continuity. A lot of times you don't know where the entry point is. And so these stories, I think, give a really nice, you know, self-contained story that there's really no barrier. You don't need to have read anything before. I think you could read the Lois Lane book without having, without even knowing who Lois Lane is. I feel like you could still enjoy it. But um, if you do know who Lois Lane is, then, you know, hopefully that gives you a little extra something uh, while you're reading. But yeah, I, you know, I, I'm a big uh, proponent of bringing new readers into comics and into sort of the enjoyment of these characters that, that have been around for so long. So I love both writing those stories and reading them. Oh, yeah, definitely. And that's kind of it, too, is like I definitely grew up reading comics in, you know, the early mid 90s and stuff. And so being in like kind of a rural place, I know that I was like the only person I knew (laughs) that Mm -hmm. like loved comics on the level that I did. So it's always nice for me too, especially whenever somebody 
you know, anybody who's younger or anybody who's just like, I know someone who's younger, what comic should I get them? And it's just like, check it out. DC just made a whole line for you all. (laughs) So, and it's like, what's great about it is it's for me as well. I enjoy those comics a lot. I wanted to jump ahead too, because like I said, you've done so many things. So there's definitely a wealth of things to discuss here. But I wanted to talk about the Dr. Aphra novel Mm -hmm. because it's just my favorite character. I just love her so much. Um, I have both of the omnibuses upstairs right now, and they're Mm -hmm. like so huge. Yeah, (laughs) They're so, so huge. If you had a boat, you could probably use one as an anchor, just how big (laughs) they are. But it's great to have that much Aphra content. But... Um, the novel that you wrote, uh, the I listened to it as an audiobook, and mm-hmm. I just want to totally tell people maybe check that out because the sound effects and everything were just so so good, and it accentuated a lot of the writing just so well. And I loved the voice actor; I loved every part of it. So I wanted to talk to you about that. You know, uh, you mentioned being into X Men for a long time. So was it like because I love the Star Wars, like the extended universe stuff, probably more than I love Uh the main universe which is like perhaps controversial to say but I love it so much I come I come in as a genuine fan so I wanted to ask just kind of what is it like to work on Star Wars and for a character like Dr. Aphra who's like is just kind of extended universe right now right because it's like in continuity of all Uh of the Marvel comics and stories right are like in continuity but at the same time, like, it, you know, she hasn't bit, made it to the big screen yet and all of that. Right. Um, no, it's so cool. I mean, I was also a big <laughs> Star Wars kid. That first trilogy is, I think, part of my um, nerd DNA, part of my creative DNA. And I think no matter how jaded you are, no matter how long you've been in, in the industry, I feel like there is really nothing like getting that call that it says, you know, we want you to work on <laughs> Star Wars. And there's um, really no other franchise <laughs> like that. So um, it, it was so cool just to get that call. And it felt like kind of a special bonus that it was Afra because I think she is probably just one of the coolest characters in the Star Wars universe. I feel like there is no one like her. There is no one who has that voice. There is no one who has that sort of just sense of chaos. And so I I was a little bit intimidated, but I just knew she would be incredibly fun to write. And that was mm-hmm. actually <laughs> written as um, what I think is called an audiobook original. So it was like basically recorded like an audio drama. You know, it wasn't sort of just one narrator the way that an right, audiobook right. is often recorded. It was a full cast. They had, like you said, the sound effects, the music. All of that. Um, our Afra was Emily Ruzeller, who is an amazing voice actress and audiobook narrator. And she has actually narrated um, most of my audiobooks. She did the whole Heroine series. She did uh, From Little Tokyo. And she did Afra. And I think she's incredible. I think she was the perfect Afra. And actually, a lot of that, um, I, I was hired to do that near the end of 2019. And so it was recorded in early 2020. And usually those were recorded, you know, in person in a studio, very traditional. Right. In that case, that one had to be recorded all over Zoom, like all virtually. And I thought because of that, the the performances just impressed me even more. I cannot tell that they were not in the same room together. I think it sounds, you know, very seamless. The chemistry is great. Um, I really love the way it turned out. But 
Yeah, it was it was just so cool. Um, it was so fun to write in her voice. It was fun to write um, these very classic characters that I grew up with. You know, having your dialogue appear next to the name Princess Leia is pretty incredible. <laughs> and I so I just had a really great time with that. Um, and she's still a character that is one of my favorites that I feel, you know, so honored that I got to write. And I hope that she will continue uh, having adventures in a variety of mediums. And, you know, I think that there is a very big fan base for her. So I'm just happy I got to contribute a little bit to that. Yeah, for sure. Those omnibuses, there's been so many issues of her comic at this point. If they announce a new Star Wars, anything, basically, I'm like, not Afro, like, are yeah. you sure? like maybe maybe pull that one out because mm-hmm. it's going to be good. Like everybody loves this character. And, you know, one of the characters where it's like, yes, this comic is amazing. But as I said, that is such a good story. I loved um, just sitting and listening. And there were so many just like laugh out loud moments for me. And that just doesn't happen to me a lot whenever I'm listening to a book or something, you know. So I was just like, I would be on the bike path, just like chuckling to myself and, you know, probably looking a little weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was just so, so entertaining. So I, you know, personal things personally, because it's just like, I absolutely loved it. everybody earlier today I made myself a sandwich and I thought to myself if I could rate and review this sandwich I would give it five stars and <laughs> I would say this sandwich is so incredible is best sandwich I've had literally in days and it was everything I wanted it to be and that would be a positive review that would help me see what audience responses were to my sandwich and <laughs> You know, it would just be really a helpful system. I wonder if there's another situation where rating and reviewing would come in handy. Oh, huh. Oh my God. No, what? you could rate and review this podcast, and then that helps us find our audience and it helps us find whatever we've lost. It helps us find what we've lost, <laughs> helps us find our socks, <laughs> our keys, our <laughs> cell phone. People don't talk about it enough. When you rate and review, it really changes someone's life. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to change my life, that's for sure. And we like to read the reviews, you know, the ones that are positive, that say soothing and nice things. (laughs) Five stars. We'll give you five stars as a listener. You give us five stars as a podcast. Five sandwiches. (laughs) This podcast, let's face it, is five delicious sandwiches. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. So I'm going to real quick ask, since we've talked about a couple of uh, big franchises, do you happen to have a secret X-Men character you'd like to write that you're not like spoiling anything by telling me about? And then, um, yeah, do you have a Star Wars character that you would love to write the most? Um, you know, that's a good, I don't really know. I, I think um, I've always been happy when something's come to me. I 
have had the opportunity to pitch on a lot of characters in different, you know, different publishers. And I think sometimes um, when it's, it's a character you really love, it's, it's almost more of a challenge. It feels a little bit more intimidating, but um, (laughs) I did get the chance uh, earlier, a little earlier this year to write two of my favorite X-Men characters, Jean Grey and Emma Frost. And um, they were in, it was a story that was in um, one of the anthology issues called, I think it's Marvel Voices. Um, And it was an anthology that was dedicated to to the X-Men. So it was a bunch of different creative teams working on the X-Men. And I think the story I pitched was like, I pitched a couple things. And this one was honestly so ridiculous. I was just happy um, <laughs> the editor, uh, Lauren, um, was up for it. But the story is basically, and it's really short. I think it's like six pages. Um, they are, they have to do a team building exercise um, as part of the um, Krakoa Quiet Council. And mm-hmm. so they go, they have to go to this like summer festival, like carnival thing in Central Park and they have to compete, complete all these challenges without using their powers. And it's things like they have to ride like a roller coaster. They have to like eat some like disgusting, like fair food without like puking. Um, They have to like play one of those carnival games. And of course something else happens so that it kind of disrupts their plans. Um, but spoiler alert, they do complete the team building exercise. And um, (laughs) that was kind of just, born out of my desire to, you know, focus on like the bond between those characters that honestly had nothing to do with Cyclops. Um, I always felt like they should be, you know, not necessarily besties, but that they could have like an interesting bond because they have kind of similar powers. They, they (laughs) have occupied similar positions where they've sort of been on, you know, both the bad and the good side of different conflicts. Um, they have very powerful personalities. And so I just wanted to write something where like they got to kind of have some bonding moments, but also have these sort of like ridiculous, you know, over the top situations that they have to deal with. So that story was a ton of fun. And when we were working on it, it just kept getting more and more ridiculous. Um, the artist was Jorge Corona and he did such an amazing job of illustrating just this like ridiculous scenario. <laughs> so that was a lot of fun to do. And those were two characters that, you know, were definitely favorites that I didn't know if I would ever get to write. So I was really happy that I had the opportunity to do that. Oh, yeah. I actually hadn't heard of this. And now I'm like, oh, no, I have to go get that. Also, those voices collections are incredible. Yeah. I mean, that's a, like just another really cool thing that, <laughs> you know, you've... Because like the whole line is just awesome. I All of the ones I've picked up, I've always been like, yes, this was great. I'm glad I put this on my pull list. And so everybody check those out just in general. Because there's at this point, you know, I'm pretty sure I have at least like three, of you know, so mm-hmm. there's, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of good stuff coming out on those lines. And a lot of that exact kind of vibe of story yeah. <laughs> where it's like, I always kind of wanted to write this character, you know, and I love those. Those are my favorites. That's yeah. kind of where you get like the parts that they don't show in the main books, right? It's yeah. like you get to have yeah. these little side stories where you're like, yes, this is what I always wanted. It's like the uh, X-Men classic backups or whatever where yeah. Claremont yeah. just 
filled out the back like the story a little bit more and you're just like yes these are the best parts yeah yeah no that's definitely kind of like what a lot of the stories in that anthology were like and the x-men one is a lot of fun so definitely check that out oh yeah i have to yeah i'm surprised i don't already have it i might actually already have it somewhere (laughs) i'm gonna have to look through my book collection um, but yeah, all right. So, you know, speaking of iconic franchises, we have the Archieverse mm-hmm. here, <laughs> which is now called the Archieverse since they since Riverdale did that multiverse episode. Mm-hmm. Um I I have it's like this is high key like the Archie podcast at this point because we're always getting really cool stuff from Archie and I just have always loved Archie and I'm, you know, just from what I know of you and what you've mentioned so far about, you know, your history of, you know, reading and getting into, you know, nerd stuff as a kid, I'm going to assume that you have a history with like the Archie Digest, maybe? Oh, yeah. I mean, that was um, (laughs) uh, growing, you know, my brother and I growing up, we were big comics kids. And, you know, there were all like we grew up in a really small town. There was always this like spinner rack at the grocery store we would make our parents like buy stuff for us from. And we were kind of equally into superheroes like X-Men and Superman and Archie. We had a lot of Archie just like we had single issues. We had the digest. Those were also in the supermarket. Um, I still have a soft spot for um, there was this like Veronica solo series for a while where every issue she would go to a different country like I think the first <laughs> issue she goes to France. And so I it think was like, I actually remember. Yeah, <laughs> it was really good. It was like Veronica, but she was like, you know, the globe trotting heiress that she is. And she was always in these like glamorous locations, like wearing a lot of cool clothes and like doing different things. Me and my brother were both very into like all of those comics. And um, I remember like, I always wanted to, um, I also loved Katie Keene. Like I always wanted to like Mm -hmm. (laughs) contribute one of those fashions that they had on. They would always have a page in Mm. Katie Keene that was like, oh, this outfit was submitted by so-and-so. This outfit was like designed by so-and-so. And (laughs) And so you could actually like send in your like outfit drawings and they would like put them in the comic. And I never actually did it, but that was like one of my dreams. Like I always wanted to contribute like a (laughs) Katie Keene outfit um so yeah um I was very into Archie as well and that was another fun franchise to get approached about oh yeah definitely and the fashion pages that you're talking about that's huge it's come up on this podcast probably like three times (laughs) because it was one of my favorite aspects of it too so I'm always like do you remember Mm. whenever they had the fashion pages and people are like "Yeah." yeah I guess so I did an interview with uh, the uh, Tim Hanley, who wrote the book uh, Betty and Veronica, Riverdale's Leading Ladies. <laughs> and mm-hmm. yeah, that was just an f- incredible conversation. Listeners, go check it out. It's uh, available for everybody on the Patreon. Um, free to listen. But also, yeah, with Archie, it's like we've had a lot of people who have done Archie stories because they're you know, one of the publishers that you're just seeing all of this really excellent, like, outreach people who are, like, you know, um, they're, like, finding new creators to work with all of the time, it feels like. And so it's always Mm -hmm. great. Like, I never know what's going to come at me from Archie. And every time I'm just like, yes, yes, (laughs) like, this is what I Mm -hmm. want. Mm -hmm. And very much the same with this comic. So I haven't read very far into Darkling. Because I think like we only had the first issue available, right? But I have been able to enjoy it a little bit. So I wanted to talk about this. 
Um, first of all, this is a character that hasn't been around since like the 80s, right? If I'm yeah. not misunderstanding that. And then, well, she's she has appeared in some uh, some shorts, I think, last year that were sort of, you know, Archie and the gang. Like there's one where like she goes on a date with Archie and he goes to the he takes her to the beach and like she's not she's like super goth. She's not really a beachy person. <laughs> right. um, so there's like, you know, hilarity ensues. There's another one. Like my favorite is one where she actually teams up with Sabrina, the teenage oh. witch, and they take on a Nethric portal, which is also something we used in this one shot because I just thought that was such a fun concept. Um, so <laughs> she's come back a little bit. Um, but I guess like as far as longer stories, uh, maybe hasn't been featured in those in a while. Right. So, yeah, I mean, this is another one, I guess, where it's like you are, I'm guessing, able to kind of be like, well, this is my version of it, kind of update the character a little bit. Obviously, like, you know, you just now telling me that there's other stories that have done a little bit of groundwork. But I would love to hear more about the process and this character, because I, you know, as somebody like you, who read tons of Archie comics like throughout my childhood growing up today you know all of the time this morning um I have you know such a fondness for a lot of the kind of extended universe characters I guess where Mm -hmm. it's like you know you don't see necessarily on like the main books or something like that but I think a lot of the Archie horror and a lot of the stuff that Archie is doing right now has really like just been able to give a spotlight to a lot of those characters. So yeah, I mean, I would, I as I say, I will just love to hear more. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, I think I mentioned I had written a little bit of Archie. I had written a couple of these kind of middle grade graphic novels uh, about younger versions of Betty and Veronica and the gang as they're starting middle school but this was the first time I had written anything in the, the sort of, I guess, main Archieverse. Um, the, <laughs> the graphic novels were um, licensed to another publisher by Archie, but this was for, I guess, Archie proper, Archie direct, whatever that's called. And uh, I was approached by um, the, our great editor, Jamie Rotante. Right. <laughs> and you know, we've been doing these one shots, like here, here are some of the one shots. And we want to do a one shot about Darla Lang, who is Darkling. So Darkling, (laughs) aka Darla Lang, basically, she's a young woman, she has this kind of mysterious connection to the supernatural world. And that mainly manifests in um, her sort of weapon or magical artifact of choice, which is this voluminous black cape that she wears everywhere that can also be used as a melee weapon. So when she's in battle, she can like wrap things or people up in the cape and like teleport them elsewhere. And it's just, you know, it's such a fun, like interesting power. And it also means she has to wear the cape everywhere. So (laughs) it's sort of the perfect, um, you know, talking about fashion pages, it's sort of the perfect combination of like magic and fashion. And so I thought that was really fun. And the story was somewhat open. But I think what Jamie said was they were interested in maybe a story where she was in college and, you know, perhaps there were some 
students in danger and she had to kind of act to save them. And it was still open in that she was like, you know, it could also be in high school. If you think that's better, it could, it's sort of open, but we, we are interested in this kind of modern interpretation of Darkling as a young woman. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, I thought that there were definitely things I could do with that. And so what we ended up developing is a story where Darla Lang, she's a young woman in college, and um, we sort of made it a little dark academia. So it's a very like <laughs> haunted looking college. There's lots of big stately buildings with kind of Gothic architecture. They're, everything's always in shadows. Um, it's mm-hmm. next to this like creepy forest, like I sort of imagined it being in the Pacific Northwest, which is where I'm from, which is, has very like atmospheric, you know, creepy yes, academic yes. <laughs> settings. Like there's a lot of those. So, um, so we put it in that setting and then the sort of basic idea is Darla, you know, she has this cape, but she doesn't really understand it. She doesn't really understand her power. It, she mostly sees it as it's something that has always isolated her from others. It's the reason that she's alone. It's the reason that people are afraid of her. She doesn't really have a lot of, um, well, she doesn't really have any like important human connections in her life. So she has come to this school, which is called Ivy Hollow University, in order to sort of find a solution to separate herself from the cave. She's heard this college, you know, it has maybe some connections to magic. It has maybe some creepy hidden passageways and libraries (laughs) that perhaps uh, contain some magical books that she can use to figure out, you know, how do I separate myself from this cape so that I can have friends and lead a normal (laughs) life and, you know, not have to deal with whatever this is. And of course, you know, this story is about how she ultimately embraces her power and accepts it and realizes that it's actually really cool. And the kind of like story underneath is she finds out about this series of students that have gone missing that like her are on the fringes of campus are not really, you know, the popular kids or the kids that everybody knows about. They're sort of like on the outside of things. And they've been disappearing and no one cares. And so she teams up with someone else who's kind of on the fringes of campus society, this podcaster named Phoebe, and they investigate what has happened. And, you know, a lot of this is just like stuff that I really like to write. It's dark, atmospheric, witchy. There's like supernatural stuff. There's a lot of creepy visuals. Um, There's a lot of great fashion. Um, And then Darla is a young woman who is figuring out who she is, figuring out how to kind of accept all parts of her, figuring out how to really um, accept her power, celebrate her power, realize that it's actually a really cool thing. And yeah, that's pretty much it. That's a, a very compact story that we told in 20 pages. And um, the mm-hmm. artist is Carla Borelli, who is amazing. She really got all of those sort of like gothic flourishes. And like, um, I sent like a really detailed fashion brief that mentioned uh, the craft, the original craft. Uh, and yes. <laughs> also, um, also like all of those, um, 
those old like gothic suspense novels where it's like it's always like a woman in like a long dress like running away from something running like she, from a castle she, yeah it's usually yeah. a castle or sometimes there's like a a ghost behind her or something so I think I said I wanted to be like a cross between those two things and I felt like she brought it to life like so beautifully like we have a whole you know, I mentioned the Nethric portal earlier, like we have a whole like Nethric portal page, like she did an amazing job on. And um, then we also did have a little, um, you know, Darkling, because Darkling looks a little bit different than Darla. She had to have sort of her like magical girl transformation sequence. So that Mm -hmm. was also something that um, I just thought Carola did an amazing job on. Uh, Yes. Okay. So I was curious too, because Whenever you have Darkling, like there is obviously there's like a magical side to a lot of the Archie stuff, especially more so now, right, with all of the horror line. But even whenever like Sabrina first started back in the 60s, I remember reading like I specifically hunted down like the first Sabrina story. And that story is very much like, and she's a modern witch now. Instead of a broom, she has a vacuum cleaner, yeah. <laughs> like that kind of stuff, which is like, you know, fun and very of the time. But I was interested because Sabrina has such like this, uh, not always, but, you know, something like the TV series where it's like, I'm just an ordinary girl, but I'm also a witch. And you see her and you see like um, somebody who is like, you know, looks like any teen girl, I guess, as far as like dress style and like all of this. So having like the cape and then having that be a big part of the story is like kind of fascinating, right? Mm Because it's like the other like the other one is like, oh, I'm just so like normie, I guess. <laughs> and yeah, like, yeah. Having someone be like, I wish I could be normie <laughs> is yeah. kind of an interesting, I guess, twist. Were you thinking a lot, Um, I guess, just about like kind of the magic world as it exists already in Archie or like, was this kind of your chance? Because as you say, it's like this interesting like location dark academia gothic romance inspired you know like all of this kind of stuff and so I was curious if like the other Archie stuff like kind of played a role into it as well um I think we were kind of trying to give Darla her own like little universe I guess Mm -hmm. um the other these sort of other characters the other elements didn't really enter into it that much except I did, like I said, take that Nethric portal from that uh, Sabrina short. And, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> I do think it would be fun maybe at some point to see Darla team up with Sabrina because they are they are different kinds of witches. They have really different right. styles. Like for me, like I grew up in a really small, really white town and I kind of always felt like anything that made me a little bit different, which was everything, like, honestly, just my (laughs) face. Um, That, to me, always felt bad because it was what made me an outcast or it was what made me feel isolated or what made me feel alone. So I think some of that is sort of what we were exploring with Darla. She's sort of been (laughs) taught or, you know, society has taught her to think that anything about her that's different is, is bad, is what makes her alone. It's not what makes her powerful. And so a lot of her arc in this story is figuring out that it does make her powerful, that, you know, she can make friends, at least one friend. She makes one really good friend in the book. And um, that it's actually, you know, what makes her special, what makes her Mm -hmm. cool, like all of that. So I think that's what we were kind of, um, what we were kind of exploring with that kind of outsider elements. And, 
you know, someone, I think someone asked me like, well, how did you explain that she's like this quote unquote normal college student, but she's always wearing this giant cape. And they do like some of the other students do comment on it. Like they just see that as part of her being weird because she's sort of seen <laughs> right. as, like a weirdo at this school. But also to be honest, like um, at least like what I used to see on my college campus were people wearing all kinds of things. And it wasn't yeah. really a big deal because that's sort of a time when you're exploring yourself, you're exploring your identity. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a friend who one semester, she was an art student. And as like her art installation, she wore a pair of bunny ears for the whole semester. And it was, <laughs> you know, it honestly wasn't that strange because people were wearing, were wearing all kinds of things all over campus to class. Sometimes, you know, it's just you and your pajamas. Like, so I guess I didn't, I didn't really feel like that would be like that strange. Um, but people right. do comment on it just because like Darla in general is seen as such a weirdo. Sure. Yeah. And it is like kind of also, there is a little suspension of disbelief in the Archie world <laughs> as well, yeah, where it's like, for sure. this can happen in this like general universe, right? Like you would not be too shocked, I guess. Yeah. It's like um, the hijinks are through the roof. I'll say that yeah. with Archie. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, you know, we've talked about so many different things that you've worked on and some of it's your own stuff. Some of it's books, some of it's comics. Like it feels like there's a bucket list that's just everything's getting checked off, right? Like it seems like you've just been able to jump into a bunch of different universes as well as create many of your own and that also go from genre to genre. So I'm just curious, is there something that you haven't tried yet that you've just been like, you know what, I need to do that maybe next? Anything you'd like to jump into, I guess. Um, you know, I think there are always things that, that are interesting. I, I think um, for me at this point, it's probably less about which characters, because I've gotten to write a lot of my favorite characters, mm-hmm. um, or which publisher, because I've gotten to write for a lot of, um, you know, publishers that I grew up reading. I would like to perhaps write a longer creator-owned comic. Because the only thing I've really done in that sense is actually my very first comic, which was a short in the anthology Fresh Romance. Uh, That's actually where Ariel, who is the artist on Mosley, that's where we met. We were working on different stories in Fresh Romance. And I think those were actually, for both of us, those were some of our first, you know, comics thing. That was my very first comics uh, job that I got. And um, I think that one was, maybe 50 pages, like it was sort of in 10 page increments and then we collected it. But um, I haven't really gone back since then to doing anything creator owned. Everything I've done since then has been licensed, you know, someone else's sandbox, someone else's toys. So I think maybe I would like to do uh, something like that, you know, and I'm not really in a huge rush. Like I'm trying to um, be a little more, I guess, relaxed about um, <laughs> right. how I allocate my time and what, you know, my career goals and all of that. But yeah, um, I think of, of all the things I haven't done yet, that that's probably something that is the most interesting to me. It is pretty interesting to me too. So I hope that this does <laughs> come to be. I'm very excited and just my brain was firing on like all cylinders just now being like, what would that look like? So this is, it'll be fun when it happens. Um, yeah. Yeah. So also 
we just talked about a ton of stuff and obviously Darkling being like, I believe the most recent thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, is there anything else that's coming up that you'd like to plug here? Or is there just simply, a you know, you have a lot to draw from to plug, right? <laughs> so yeah. I guess like, I whatever mean, you'd like to plug. Yeah, I don't think, um, I don't think I have anything I can talk about yet. But I have been excited this year to sort of have a lot of things that were kind of, you know, favorite characters or bucket list things like the Lois Lane book was certainly that. Um, this Darkling comic has been wonderful. The X-Men was so much fun. Um, and then the other thing, I think the other thing I did this year, that the only thing maybe we haven't talked about is I wrote a short story for a Star Wars prose anthology. It was um, what they've done, they've done these before. It's called From a Certain Point of View. And, um, it, there, these anthologies basically have taken like, yes, 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 little <laughs> moments from, you know, the movies, from like maybe background characters or characters whose perspective we didn't see very much. And then it's like an anthology of all of those stories written by different authors. And if you read it, it sort of takes you through the film in a different way. So, this year they did one for Return of the Jedi and I got to write um, something that, you know, I keep saying like it helped heal my childhood trauma and I'm actually not exaggerating um, because <laughs> when I was doing all the interviews for Afra, a lot of people would ask me, you know, what, what, like, what's a memory of like Star Wars when you were growing up? And I do not know why I chose to tell this story, but every time I told this story about how when I was younger, and I was watching Return of the Jedi. There's this scene near the end during the Battle of Endor where there is this Ewok who dies during the battle. And it's actually very, like, it's a very, like, lingering scene. Like, mm-hmm. he, you know, he gets hit by this explosion. He falls. And then his friend is, like, trying to wake him up. And he's making, like, these really upsetting noises. And I was so upset by that when I was a kid that my mom um, lied to me and she kept saying, oh no, he was fine. He just fell down. He just hurt. He got up later. I saw him fighting later. And I would always ask, you know, where, where? And then because this was the era of like VCRs, you couldn't like go back, you know, frame by frame as easily. So she would just say, oh, you just missed it. And I believed it. And I think I actually believed that um, well into adulthood. And so when they were doing this <laughs> anthology, um, my wonderful editor on both Afra um, and this story, Elizabeth Schaefer, was like, do you want to write about your Ewok? And I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> um, so I got to contribute to that anthology, the story about the dead Ewok. And, you know, he doesn't, it, it, that like, I guess, spoiler alert, he doesn't come back to life. He is dead. But I think writing that story, let me give him like a little bit of a better send off. Like, I think part of it was like, I always felt like, oh, they just didn't care. Like at the end, they're like celebrating, like, no one cares that he like died. <laughs> like there's no, you know, there's no like mourning like ballad or song or whatever. So I actually called it um, the ballad of Nanta, Nanta's the Ewok, uh, because I wanted him to have like a legacy. Like I wanted like the other Ewoks and like the rebels who he helped to like care about him. And um, 
that was a very healing experience. And um, a lot of the feedback I've gotten has indicated it was healing for other people too. (laughs) So uh, that was like a contribution to the Star Wars universe that I was very happy to be able to make. Oh yeah, that's incredible. And those books are incredible. I love, love, love that stuff. The the whole concept of just like, we, as we were talking a little bit with voices, you know, those like little like in-between stories that we never got to actually see. I love, 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 love that stuff. So yes, I'm going to have to check it out. I believe that Dan, if I'm not incorrect about this, Daniel Page, who we just had on also has a story in one of those. So it was just so, so fun to hear more about that. Thanks for sharing. Um, But yeah, if people would like to find you online, where would you be able to be found? (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, I have been increasingly less online, but I get, you know, if you really want to, uh, I'm still on Twitter, X, whatever we're supposed to call it now. That's just my name, Sarah Kuhn. I'm on Instagram as Sarah Kuhn Books. And I do have a website, heroinecomplex.com, that I never update, but it is there if you want to look at it. Um, So those are some places where you can find me sometimes, not as much recently, but sometimes. Yeah, I love how this year, I mean, as a creator myself, we all kind of collectively went from, yeah, follow me on social media to like, if you find me on social media, that's on you. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's really, (laughs) you've made your choices. That's, you know, something you have to live with. But um, (laughs) but yeah, you know, I hopefully at some point, maybe I'll interact a little bit. I used to, you know, really enjoy interacting on social media, so Maybe that will come back to me. We'll see. But um, feel free to look at whatever I have up there. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, awesome. I want to say thank you so much for taking the time today because this was an incredible conversation. And uh, yeah, I love your work. I'm just always looking forward to more. I hope that this creator thing takes thank off. You. I would love to read, uh, you know, kind of a long form thing that's just all your brain. That sounds great to me. <laughs> thank you very much. Well, I, I, you know, hopefully not all my brain because I still need, um, we still need an artist to join, join brains with me. My brain does not uh, work for drawing, but I would love to share a brain with someone where we can come up with something really cool. Yes, this brain sharing. This is what I'm about. (laughs) Okay, excellent. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for being here. Thank you very much for having me. You're listening to Bitches on Comics, distributed by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Find more shows like Bitches on Comics by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm. Thank you for listening to Bitches on Comics. We are a bi-weekly podcast where we talk to your favorite comics and pop culture creators and critics about what matters to them in comics and pop culture, as you might have guessed. You can follow us on Twitter at at bitchesoncomics and on Instagram at at bitchesoncomics. Our website is, brace yourself, bitchesoncomics.com. If you go there, you can listen to any of our episodes. And we've got other shit that we put on tabs. I don't remember what it is. I am in charge of updating the website, however, so good luck. (laughs) Thanks for the heads up. I'll go to this website now. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also support the podcast by joining us on Patreon. 
head to patreon.com slash queerspec to learn more. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. I'm Monica Estrella and you can find me at www.audreysrevenge.com or on Twitter at Audrey Revenge. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.